portion for today's uh, message is Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 to 18. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 to 18. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter to do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The, fo- the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and, that, and in that I rejoice. Morning. Can you hear me at the back? Okay. So it's always a joy to come and remember our Savior and what he has done for us and also to sit before the word of God. So as um, Joel just read, and thank you Joel for reading Philippians 1, 12 to 18, this is the portion that we are going to look at today as we continue our um, study through the book of of Philippians, the epistle to the Philippians. So last week we looked at the first, or last month when I spoke, we looked at the first 11 chapters of, uh, first 11 verses of chapter 1 and uh, did a little bit of an introduction. So there we saw that uh, uh, this uh, epistle to the Philippians was of course written to the, by Paul to the church of Philippi, which was the, the major city uh, in uh, the, the Greek province of Macedonia. Uh, it was named after uh, King Philip, who was the father of Alexander the Great, his more well-known son, uh, who went all over the world conquering, even came all the way up to India, according to, the, according to history. Uh, and we know that Paul the Apostle and, uh, and uh, along with Silas and Timothy were traveling through uh, Asia Minor and uh, the Spirit of God wouldn't let them go any further and then they got this vision of a man from Macedonia who appears to them in a vision at night and tells them to go into Macedonia and that's how uh, Macedonia was then part of, uh, part of Europe and uh, that's how the gospel came into Europe and then Paul uh, and Silas and Timothy, they come uh, into Macedonia and then they meet these ladies by the, by the river uh, who are who are worshipping God or praying to God there and preaches the gospel to them and, and this lady called Lydia get, and her household gets saved and they were the first church and so the church develops meeting in her house and this was the first church in Europe and Paul uh, later he was imprisoned uh, and we have the famous story of the Philippian jailer where you know the people in the town get upset at Paul and Paul and Silas were thrown into prison into the dungeon there and they were in chains and then there was an earthquake and and of course, the, uh, the, the, prison, the, the jailer, you know, thinks that everybody has escaped and he's about to kill himself. Uh, and he asks that uh, Paul tells him not to kill himself, that everybody is, is there, all the prisoners are there. And he comes out with that question, uh, you know, uh, what must I do to be saved? And Paul answers, 
with believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And so the Philippian jailer and the members of his household, they believe. And so the church starts to grow. And again, on his third uh, missionary journey, uh, you know, Paul visits this church and um, spends uh, uh, time there on that third missionary journey. And so he had a very special bond with this church. And so later on, uh, as we go through the book of Acts, we find that Paul uh, goes to Jerusalem. He gets arrested. There is a big commotion there. He goes on trial before uh, uh, Felix and then uh, Festus. And uh, then he appeals to Caesar. And then he makes his way on that voyage, uh, a very perilous voyage. And the, the last few chapters of Acts, uh, the Acts of the Apostles, explains that to us and all the things he went through on that journey. And then he comes to Rome and he is, uh, he is under imprisonment for some two years or so. Uh, and, uh, and during this time he is given a little bit of freedom. And because he was in Rome uh, and he had the freedom to invite people to the place where he was, you know, he was able to spread the gospel. And there are these epistles that, that Paul wrote. There are four epistles, uh, Philippians, which we are looking at, Ephesians, Colossians and Philemon, that were written from the prison and they are known as the prison epistles. So, and that's important to understand the context, especially as we go into uh, this passage here, verses 12 to 18 this morning. And in this uh, uh, passage, uh, you know, Paul talks about the primacy of the propagation of the gospel. How the propagation of the gospel was to him the most important thing. And it didn't matter what else happened to him uh, or what people were doing. As long as the gospel was going out, you know, it was something that he rejoiced about. And this uh, epistle of the Philippians, the theme uh, is all about rejoicing. You know, we, we saw in chapter 1, uh, the first 11 verses that, that Paul there, he, he, he rejoices for the believers as he gives thanks for the Philippian believers and as he um, prays for them, he's rejoicing for them. He's rejoicing for the good work that has begun in them and the maturity that he sees there. And now in this passage, we'll read about how he rejoices even as he is in prison and undergoing all these difficulties. He rejoices because the gospel is going out. In the next section, we see how he rejoices that even if he dies, uh, it, it is a good thing. And, and you know, the theme verse uh, in this book would be uh, Philippians chapter 4 and verse um, 4, which says, Rejoice in the Lord always again. I will say rejoice. So there's a lot of emphasis on being joyful in the Lord. And as we just recap a little bit of what we saw in the first 11 verses here, uh, we see that Paul had a habit of giving thanks for the believers. He gave thanks for his memory of them in verses 3 to 4. He says that, upon, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Whenever I think about you, it is an occasion for me to thank God for you. We see that he gave thanks for their fellowship. Uh, you know, in verse uh, 5, he says, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. So Paul is commending these believers for the fact that they were partakers of his ministry. And these, these Philippian believers were, were particularly known for this. If we go to uh, the book of Second Corinthians, uh, which was a passage that, that we were reading in our family, uh, family worship yesterday, uh, we read a little bit about the, the generosity of the Philippians. Uh, it says in chapter 8 of Second Corinthians, verse 1, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of our God bestowed, or the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Now this is not just talking about Philippi, but Philippi was one of the primary churches there in Macedonia. 
that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So he's commending the, the believers, the churches in Macedonia for the fact that they were generous. And, and in fact, if we come back to Philippians, he talks about their, uh, you know, that he gives thanks to God for their fellowship of the gospel. Uh, you know, and uh, verse 7, just as uh, it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart inasmuch as both in my chains uh, and uh, in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. So they were partakers with Paul. They were part of his ministry. They supported his ministry financially, not because they were well off or rich, but because they had that heart. They gave of themselves and then they gave of their possessions for the sake of the ministry. So Paul gives thanks for them. And then he gives thanks for what God was doing in their lives. Verse uh, 6, uh, being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He was he was giving thanks that God was doing this work of maturing them, the work that he had started of not just saving them through the gospel, but building them up uh, in the faith and in maturity. And he was thankful that God, who had begun this work, would bring it to completion and bring them to maturity. And as a result of his constant thanksgiving for them, Paul had a longing and an affection. Verse 8, he says, For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And with this affection, he then offers this wonderful prayer for them. He prays not for their material needs, but rather for their spiritual needs of these believers in Philippi, that they may abound in their love for each other, that their love may be rooted in the word of God, that it might be rooted in righteousness, that uh, it might be based on discernment between what is right and what is wrong, what is noble and what is not, and that they may abound in the fruits of righteousness. And in looking at this, we found a lot of application to ourselves. You know, first of all, how much, you know, do we have a habit of being thankful for our fellow believers? How much do we intercede for our fellow believers? We talked about how important it was that in order for our love for our fellow believers to grow, that we intercede for them, that we need to spend time uh, praying for each other, for not for our physical needs alone, but rather for our spiritual needs. How much... Uh, you know, how thankful are we for our fellow believers? How much do we look at the way that they are a blessing to us as opposed to trying to find fault, uh, you know, in their lives and in the, in the way they do things? Are we involved in the ministry of the church? The Philippian believers could be commended because they were a part and parcel of the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Are we involved in the ministry of the church? Um, you know, are we thankful for the work that God, God is doing in the lives of our fellow believers? Do we care that our fellow believers, whether they are maturing in the Lord or not, if we don't see that evidence of righteousness, that evidence of, of, of growth, are we doing anything about it? Do we have that longing and affection for our fellow believers? Do we have that genuine love for them? And that is what we learned from the first 11 uh, verses of chapter, chapter 1, about the fact that we ought to love each other, that we ought to be thankful for each other, that we ought to be interceding for each other, that we ought to be ministering to each other and that is how we as a body of believers can grow and we as a church can grow together into maturity in Christ and that is how God will 
continue that good work that he has begun in us and will eventually bring it to completion. And with that background, we come to, to chapter uh, 1 and verse 12 through 18, where Paul, uh, first of all, we can break this up into two sections, chapter 1, verse 12 to 14. Paul looks at his circumstances from the perspective of the propagation of the gospel. So Paul starts looking at himself and he talks about what he is growing through, but he connects it with the, uh, with the uh, uh, propagation of the gospel. So what was Paul's circumstance? He says in verse 12, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things which, have, which happened to me, the things which happened to me, so all the things that have happened to me, now what is it that had happened to him? Now we recounted some of those things. You know, if you go back to the beginning of his association with the, the church in Philippi, you know, he was thrown into jail along with Silas. Uh, they were beaten and arrested later in Acts 21 when they went to, uh, to Jerusalem. Uh, in Acts 24 and 25, he was on trial before Festus and then before Felix. And then he was imprisoned for two years. He had a perilous journey there for two years and then a perilous journey uh, to Rome in Acts 27, 28. We read about how, the, how they were, uh, you know, they were blown around by the waves and the wind and, and the people thought they couldn't eat for several days and they thought they were all going to die and they were going to get shipwrecked. Eventually they did get shipwrecked and then he comes to Rome by the grace of God and then he's imprisoned there for, for two years uh, and, and he does that ministry. And Paul, uh, you know, when we look at the life of Paul, you know, we, we think that we go through a lot of pain and suffering, but Paul makes it abundantly clear that his life was not an easy life. It was, it was indeed a life of, of much pain and suffering for the sake of the gospel. Let's just look at a couple of passages that bring this home to us. Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 to 27. And these, uh, you know, Paul states his condition quite eloquently here. It doesn't require any explanation. Chapter 11, Second Corinthians Verse 23 to 27. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they uh, of the seed, the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers? Verse 23. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors, more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often from the Jews. Five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Okay, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. He had been beaten, uh, striped for the sake of the gospel. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. So Paul here gives a wonderful description of all the, the suffering and the pain and the, 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 the physical punishment uh, that he endured for the sake of Christ. And again, if we go back to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 8 to 11, 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 8. We are hard pressed on every side. We are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not 
destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So that so then death is working in us, but life in you. So Paul says that he was hard pressed on every side and, and, and he was dying literally. You know, he was, he was dying uh, day in and day out for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ because of all this suffering. So Paul was a man who suffered much in his ministry. But what was Paul's view of his circumstances? You know, we all go through many circumstances in life. We go through all kinds of difficulties in life. And I don't know what circumstance you, have, you are going through today, circumstances that you have been through in your life and, and, and Paul's, of course, the suffering and the pain that he went through and the punishment and the torture, we just read about it, was far more than perhaps anything that any of us have been through. But what does Paul say? How does he look at his circumstances? And this is, this is just very instructive and very unique. The way that Paul approaches all of these things you know, is that he takes his eye off of his own circumstances and rather he looks at the end result as it relates to the propagation of the gospel. And so he says in verse 12, But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. The things that have happened to me, all of these sufferings, all of this pain, the the lashings and the stripes and the beatings and the shipwrecks and all of these things, that have happened to me, the fact that I'm sitting here in a prison writing this without my freedom, all of this has actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. You know, Paul does not look down on his, on his beaten up body. He doesn't look on, his, uh, uh, on all the suffering that he has been through, but rather he puts all of that aside and he looks to see what has happened. What is the outcome of all of my suffering? And he says that outcome is that the gospel has been furthered. The preaching of the gospel has been furthered. So he evaluated his circumstances in the light of how they impacted the spread of the gospel. You know, how do we look at our own circumstances? You know, what are you going through your life in your life today? You know, perhaps you're going through difficulties with a job. Perhaps you're going through uh, problems with the health of your spouse. Perhaps you're going through various losses in your family. Whatever it is that you're going through, you know, is it having any impact on the furtherance of the gospel. And that all depends on your response to that circumstance. Is your response to your circumstance an encouragement to others? Is it, is it drawing people to the gospel that when they look at your life and they see what you're going through, they will be drawn to the gospel? And it all depends, you know, this is not something that you do artificially. It all comes down to your very outlook in life. You know, you cannot just artificially sit there and say, you know, oh, I've done, okay, this is what has happened to me now. How can I plan my response in such a way that, you know, the gospel will be further? That's not the way it works. You know, it comes naturally from the fact of how you're growing in the word, how your understanding of, of, of God himself has matured, how your uh, spiritually you've been, you've been nurturing yourself and you've been, uh, you know, plugged into the church and all of these things that your life is such that, the very natural response that you have to these circumstances will draw people to yourself. You know, I was reminded of this again yesterday. Um, you know, I have a, a, a former colleague of mine who, who uh, reaches out to me every February 25th. And, and she's a Hindu lady. And uh, she too went through a lot of problems in her life. 
uh, and um, you know uh, there was there was a point in time where she was leaving the company she's a fairly senior person and uh, you know she had a tragedy in her own family and uh, you know when uh, one of her her little children uh, fell out of a balcony and died instantly and uh, at that time i had an opportunity to go there and, and minister to her and 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 show the love of christ and and she always remembered that even after she left and you know five years ago when we were do, going through our difficulties she came to the hospital and 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 she was very broken and she couldn't understand what was going on and she was crying out saying how can this happen to you how can this happen to you you are such a nice person you know how can god allow this to happen to you uh, but you know every and and i know she's been going through a, a spiritual journey uh, you know she's not saved yet but uh, but when you listen to some of her talk you know that god is working in her life and and yesterday she sent me this uh, message if i can find it here and uh, and she does this every year almost uh, you know that she reaches out and and she said to me hi george you have been in my thoughts these past few days and especially today though i never met sarah she and your family has left a deep imprint in my mind an example for the world on faith and graceful acceptance her legacy lives on in the thoughts and minds of many including mine keeping you and your family in my thoughts and prayers uh and you know and and i was uh, you know happy to get this note because it shows that you know god is still working on her you know and i believe that someday she will come to know the truth as she continues searching for the truth and searching for peace in her own life uh but but that happened because of the response that she saw to a circumstance in my life in our life as a family uh and and this is what paul is sort of referring to here is that the way that he responded you know the way that we respond to circumstances in our life however difficult they are however they might be can have an impact on the propagation of the gospel and paul rejoiced in that he said that everything that has happened to me you know it 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 is it means nothing that pain you know the fact that i had to go through all this it means nothing why because it turned out for the furtherance of the gospel now what is this gospel you know perhaps uh, i'm sure many of you know what the gospel is many of you have accepted this gospel many of you are mature in the faith but you know i i i suppose it's possible that there are people here who don't know what the gospel is and i want to just take a few minutes and 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 talk about the gospel the gospel that the paul that paul is talking about here the gospel that can change our lives you know maybe some of you by virtue of the fact that you've grown up in a certain environment you know you've been taught these things you know you just assume that that because you know you were brought up in this church or that church or a brethren church or a catholic church it doesn't matter because you did all of the rituals and because uh, you know you've done all the right things and and given arms and all these kind of things that therefore you know the gospel has impacted your life and therefore you have that personal relationship with the lord jesus that's not what paul is talking about here he's talking about a personal relationship you know uh, the gospel is all about understanding our condition the fact that we what we were remembering here this morning that we are sinners that we were born in sin that no matter how many good works we do you know good works does not solve the problem of sin in our lives there is no amount of good works that we can do whether it is in the temple or going up a mountain or uh, you know paying homage doing pujas or or taking mass or anything we do none of that can save us and draw us any closer to christ those are good works and god says that all of your good works all of your righteous works are like 
filthy rags. They are no good before him. Before, because he is such a holy God. He dwells in light. He is the light of the world. And we have to come to him understanding our sin. When we come to him, you know, like that Philippian jailer, you know, when he understood his sinfulness, he came and, and threw himself at the feet of Paul and he says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? You know, when you are confronted with the gospel, you are confronted with your sin and you realize that you have no hope, that everything that you and I have been doing all our lives to come closer to God, to satisfy that yearning that is in our hearts is useless and of no good, that all the good works we have done, the arms we have given to the poor, none of that stuff, all good, good things to do, but none of that will bring us an inch closer to God. But we have to cry out to him, what must I do to be saved? And the only thing that can save us is the gospel. The only thing that can save us is the death of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. When you come and you accept that there is nothing that I can do, when you accept that I am a sinner under condemnation from God, when you accept that if I don't repent of my sin and turn to the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, that I am destined for an eternity in hell, when you accept that when Christ died there on the cross of Calvary, we broke the bread and we took the cup. It is not just a ritual. It is a remembrance of a great act. The greatest act of love in all of human history. That God himself, the son of God came down in the form of man. He went to the cross. He bore his sins of the world. My sins, your sins, every sin that you and I have ever committed. Every sin that you and I will ever commit. And he paid the penalty there. He was forsaken by God. God looked down and God couldn't face his own son because he was bearing the sin of the world because God cannot look on sin and he turned his back on him and he forsook him and he slew him there and he killed him as punishment for your sin and my sin. And God accepts that sacrifice. When you come to him in faith and you say, I trust and I believe that that Lord Jesus died for my sins, please forgive me of my sins and accept me through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, then only do you have eternal life. That is the gospel for which Paul suffered and he went through all of this pain and suffering and he he rejoices saying that it has turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. I don't know what your background is. I don't know where you are today, but let me urge you that if you have not had that point in your life where you understood your sinfulness, where you understood your worthlessness and you did not come to the cross and submit your life and ask the Lord Jesus to save you and, 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 and tell him of your belief, your trust in his finished work and trust in that work alone for salvation, I encourage you to do it now. The word of God says, now is the day. This is the day, the time of salvation. You may not get another chance. And Paul goes on to talk about uh, you know, the outcome of his circumstances. How was the gospel furthered because of his imprisonment? How was the gospel furthered because of his suffering? He tells us in verse 13 and 14. Verse 13, he says, um, So that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. You know, number one, the whole palace guard, even the people, the Roman soldiers who were guarding him, uh, they learned that Paul was a believer of Christ. He was a follower of Christ. And they have heard the gospel. Paul was rejoicing in that because of his circumstance, you know, if he was not in jail, if he was not chained to that Roman soldier, you know, they took shifts, you know, one soldier for a few hours, then another one would come and Paul was that way for two years. You can imagine how many soldiers had to be standing there, you know, chained to Paul, keeping guard on him, listening to the gospel coming day and night, hour after hour. And so Paul says, the whole palace guard, 
you know the whole roman all the roman soldiers there have learned that he was a christian they have heard the gospel secondly he says uh, that verse 14 and most of the brethren in the lord having become confident by my chains are much more bold to speak the word without fear he says because of the suffering that i have been going through the other believers have become bold in propagating the gospel confident in speaking the gospel without fear now what is the outcome of the circumstances that you and i have been through has it had an impact on the people around us the people who see us going through that do they know why we are able to deal with it in that way do they understand the power of christ working in our lives has it made others bolder in dealing with their own circumstances and it all starts with the attitude you know the attitude of paul was that yes i'm going through this pain yes i'm going through the suffering yes you know i'm going through this imprisonment i've been in this place for two years you know and yet um, you know you can moan and groan and 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 you know and 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 have a negative attitude about what you are going through in life but for paul that wasn't what he was looking at he was not even bothered about what he was going through because he believed in the sovereignty of god that that's where he belonged he believed that even in that circumstance god had a plan for him and he was just carrying out that plan no he didn't look at his circumstances instead he looked outward to see what is happening because of what i'm going through and he saw that the gospel was being propagated he saw that the palace guard were were hearing the gospel and and turning around he saw that other believers who were coming to visit him were being strengthened and they were boldly going out and preaching the gospel and evangelizing rome because paul was there for two years you know the church in rome got established that is the way paul looked at his circumstance he looked at it from the perspective of the propagation of the gospel the second part of this passage is uh, verses 15 to 18 and here we see that paul rejoiced at every instance of the preaching of the gospel of christ and the gospel regardless of the motive of the people he turns it a little bit but his focus is still on the gospel and paul saw that you know when he looked out in the landscape he was able to see that there are a lot of people out there ministering and he he sort of grouped them into two categories of people okay and it's quite interesting verse 15 he, uh, you know he says that there are some who are preaching Christ out of evil motives okay so what does he say about them some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife verse 15 verse 16 he says the former preach Christ from selfish ambition not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my chains okay so they were preaching christ from selfish ambition they were preaching christ insincerely they were preaching christ in a way that impugns paul and adds even more affliction to his chain chains verse 18 uh, only then in everywhere whether in pretense or in truth okay these people were were uh, preaching christ out of some false pretense their motives were not right you know and there are many people we find in ministry whose motives are not sincere and who might even be dishonest you know it's only when you start getting into it you find this out you know um you know um, uh, my friend raven theory is learning a lot about this you know him and i were discussing it last week you know he got put on some whatsapp group of so called workers and and when he saw some of the messages there he immediately got out of it and then somebody added him back in and then he saw some even more uh 
you know, messages that were more difficult to stomach and he got out of it again. You know, when you get out into, you know, this world here, we find people even misusing and abusing and, uh, you know, preaching the name of Christ uh, for all kinds of wrong motives. Okay? Uh, but there are two groups here that Paul refers to. Let's just look at the other group and then I'll come back to, to some applications here. So he saw some people preaching Christ out of evil motives, but some were pe- preaching Christ out of pure motives. Right? So verse 15, some also from goodwill. So some were preaching it out of goodwill. Verse 17, but the latter out of love, knowing that I'm, I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. So some were preaching it out of good motives. They were preaching it out of love for the Lord, love for Paul. Uh, and verse uh, Uh, 17, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. So they were preaching Christ in a way that enhanced the ministry of Paul and they preached Christ out of truth. Verse 18, you know, uh, whether in pretense or in truth. So there are people and this is no different than today. Okay, when we look out into the world, we find sometimes and sometimes it distresses us to no end, you know, uh, the way that people are misusing it. They're trying to promote themselves. They're trying to you know, make money off of the gospel or off of their ministry. They're trying to fool people into thinking that they're doing things when they're not doing. I mean, there's all kinds of things that go on here and, and, and we are very tempted to, to try to solve all of these problems. You know, if Paul were living in today's uh, era, you know, he would probably create a WhatsApp group and blast all these people, you know, and, uh, or, or put it out on Facebook, right? And blast all these people and, and show them from scripture how they are doing wrong and, and they ought to be stopped and all of these things. But is that the way Paul responds? No, what does Paul say? His attitude towards the different people doing this ministry. Uh, and he says here in verse 18, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. You know, Paul says, you know what? It doesn't matter. Even if these people are hurting me, even if they're speaking ill of me, whatever it is, you know, in some way, the bottom line is regardless of the motive of these people, thank God that Christ is preached. Thank God that the gospel is going out. And, you know, the impact of the gospel is not dependent on the motive of the person preaching. It is not dependent on, on, on the, the eloquence of the person or his ability or his strength or his popularity, but it is God himself. The spirit of God uses the words of the gospel to bring people into new life in Christ. So he rejoiced. He says, uh, and in this, and he doesn't just say that I'm accepting it. He doesn't just say, yeah, okay, let it be. No, he says that I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. He rejoiced that Christ is preached and will continue to rejoice even if the methods used by some were deeply painful to him. Even though he knew that they were dishonoring things, they were doing things out of wrong motives, even though he knew that they were doing things out of selfish ambition, yet he rejoiced that that in some way the gospel is going out. And when the gospel goes out, he knew that people would be impacted. And let's turn this around a little bit. And, and, you know, this kind of uh, problem happens in the church as well. It's not just about, uh, about the gospel. And if I might just get into that a little bit, you know, um, and just talking about our attitude not just towards people, and it doesn't have to be a case where somebody is speaking out of good motives, but very often we have issues with each other because of ministries that, that we are each doing. I can tell you that, 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 that uh, Rebbe Chen and I have had several conversations where somebody in this church has come to us and to, to talk about somebody else doing something and, and trying to tell us why what they're doing is not right, you know, whatever it is, you know. Wednesday group is not uh, deep enough, Thursday group is too deep, huh? 
you know there's no substance here there's too much substance there this person he does it for this reason that person you know he doesn't give any real spirit i mean we've heard it from from many of you okay and you all know who you are okay so i'm being a little little direct here you know but you know why don't we look at it like paul does you know everybody here has a gift you're all different you know some of you are intellectual some of you are emotional some of you are in between you know you all are in here for a reason you know the church cannot function the church would be a boring place if everybody uh, thought the same way if everybody taught the same way if everybody had the same gifts you know that's not the way it's supposed to work we're supposed to all come together in unity ministering according to the gifts god has given us focus on your ministry be thankful that somebody else is ministering on wednesday somebody else is on thursday and tuesday and whatever okay on saturday somebody else is doing ministry with the children yes they may all have deficiencies from your point of view and my point of view and one of the things that that we both try to do is you know we don't want to take sides in your individual issues with each other but we want to encourage all of you you know because we know that you when you work together and when you work in unity the gospel will go out people will be matured you know the word of god goes out faith will be built and we will become better as a church you know we need to look at this from the perspective of what god is doing yes somebody else may not minister the way we do somebody else may not uh, you know give counsel to somebody the way that i do but that doesn't mean it's wrong be thankful that he is out there you know we have 160 odd people here we need more people to disciple we need more people to minister you know and if we are going to go around criticizing people who are doing things because we don't like their style or we don't like the way they do it and we are doing things to put them down you know we're not going to progress as a church but paul says i rejoice you know rejoice in the work that somebody else is doing even as you are doing the work that god has called you to do what is our attitude towards other ministries and others doing ministry you know we can be beset by these things you know jealousy envy self righteousness and looking at what others are doing you know only i can do it the right way you know he's not doing it that the right way or whatever you know we should always rejoice that the gospel is being preached we should always rejoice that the ministry is being done we should rejoice that regardless of who is doing and what their motive is you know because ultimately it is the word of god and god will use his word to achieve his purposes you know paul's whole goal in life was that the word of god should go out that the gospel should be proclaimed and it didn't matter to him who was doing it it didn't matter to him what circumstances he had to endure for the sake of the gospel you know what is our goal in life you know are, are we animated by doing the work of god or by doing you know the work of man you know it it comes down to what is it that drives us what is it the core of the way we live is it serving god you know many of us come here simply out of out of duty you know duty towards our parents duty towards our grandparents our families whatever because we want to show that you know we are part of a church you know we're not satisfied we ought not to be satisfied with that you know our lives should be about the gospel our lives should be about living uh, according to the word of god our life should be about being that salt and light being an example to those around us we can only be that way if we truly know who god is if we can truly look at all of our circumstances as nothing more than just another way to reach out to people another way to show people uh, you know the the sovereignty of god and the joy and the peace that we as christians can enjoy through the difficult circumstances of life you know everybody has difficult circumstances you know we are not immune to those the difference between us 
and the people who have no hope, you know, that needs to come through in the way that we live. How are we responding to our circumstances and our difficulties? Are we evaluating our circumstances based on how, of the impact that it is having uh, on the gospel and the lives of others? What is our attitude toward, towards others who are ministering? What is our attitude towards, uh, you know, the preaching of the gospel? Are we rejoicing that they are preaching the gospel, that they are ministering the word? You know, we can't fix all the things that are wrong with everybody in the world. But rest assured that God is using even the sincere person and the insincere person you know, to fulfill his purpose. Leave that to him. We focus on what we are doing. We focus on encouraging each other. We focus in rejoicing in the work that God is doing in the lives of his people. Regardless of what might be the motives and the deficiencies of each other. That's what Paul is teaching us from this passage. And I trust that he will encourage us to examine ourselves this morning as we seek to live for him. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the example of the Apostle Paul, especially what he has expressed and written for us in this book and in this passage. Lord, we pray that we would learn to look at our circumstances, Father, through the eyes of faith, through the lens of what is happening because of our faith in the gospel. And Lord, if our faith, if our life, our our response to our circumstances is not bringing glory to you, Father, if we are not showing forth the peace and love of God and the comfort of God in our lives, I pray, Lord, that you will convict us of that and help us to do that. Keep us humble, Lord. We pray, Lord, for each of each one here, Lord. I pray, O Lord, that, that for all those who are out there preaching the gospel, Lord, we know there are people doing it with insincere motives, trying to bring attention to themselves. Lord, I pray that you will cure them of that sinfulness. But we do rejoice together with Paul that The word is going out. And yes, there will be someone, Lord, who hears that word and who will genuinely come to saving faith. Lord, I want to pray especially, Lord, that you will give us a love and a unity for each other, Lord. That we may not uh, think ill of each other. That we may not look down the ministry that that we are, different people are doing, Lord. I pray, Lord, that, that you will help us to build each other up. That you will help us to encourage, Lord, that everyone here who is stepping out and ministering in different ways would be encouraged by the others, Lord, who are involved in ministry. That we would seek out, Lord, and pray for them, Lord. I pray that you will give us a greater love for the saints as Paul had for the saints in Philippi. That we would be thankful for each other. That we would uh, intercede for each other, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you will bring about greater love and unity in the church. Lord, we are thankful to you for your goodness and your mercies towards us. I want to pray also, Father, for anyone here who does not know Christ as Savior and Lord of their lives. Lord, I pray for anyone here who has not come and made that decision, who is relying on their, on their uh, heritage, on their good works, on whatever else they might be relying on, Lord, for salvation, that they may know that now is the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time that your Holy Spirit would speak to them today and draw them unto yourself. Lord, I want to thank you again for this time. We praise you and worship you. Ask all these things in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Can we sing, uh, Because He Lives, the first two stanzas. And while that is being sung, we'd like to ask, Liju, Deepa, Yanikya, and the whole family, as well as Deepa's parents to come forward.